Welcome, FinTech Talkers, to another edition of the FinTech Talk Show. This is Patty, and our guest today is Morgan McKenney, CEO of the Provenance Blockchain Foundation. Our talk today with Morgan will focus on all things blockchain, from stablecoins to proof of stake to decentralized finance or on-chain banking, if you want to call it that, lending, payments, capital markets, and you name it, all of it. The Provenance Blockchain Foundation provides an ecosystem for developing and deploying DeFi applications. It supports the Provenance Blockchain and its participants through research and development, education, and governance. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks so much, Patty. I'm delighted to be here. Great. So before we get into the blockchain part, uh, Morgan, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background. You've had deep experiences um, experience driving innovation in financial services. You've done it in traditional in institutions or incumbents and now doing it with a disruptor. Talk a little bit about your journey and what drove you to lead Provenance. Thanks so much, Patty. And it's a real delight given uh, your audience and the breadth of perspectives uh, you bring to them. So I'm absolutely delighted. And, you know, I joke that uh, you could introduce me. Hi, I'm Morgan. I'm a recovering banker. Um, but I uh, you know, really, I've always, my career has been entirely about using technology for business and customer relevance. And, you know, from my early days in career working for a, a futures exchange whose primary product uh, vanished, it was an open outcry platform, and it went into basically an electronic exchange, and it's very hard to move liquidity. So I learned early on in my career about hubris, thinking you're at the top, and if you don't adopt the technology capabilities, you really will be left in the dust. And at City, I was always a lead the brand type of person for customer relevance, harnessing tech. I think that's why I gravitated to a part of City called transaction banking that basically processes on behalf of its customers $4 trillion a day uh, in payments for multinational corporates, other banks, governments. And so really, and living in Asia for four years, I was operating in the time machine in terms of uh, rapid adoption of technology. It's mobile only, it's not mobile first. And really, um, you know, working to try and bring new products and capabilities. And actually, my journey with blockchain started way back. I'm an OG at City, actually, one of the few bankers that have adopted blockchain successfully twice. And when I was running cross-border payments for City based out of London, uh, Bitcoin was just coming out. And I said, could I use either Bitcoin or blockchain to improve cross-border payments? That's really one of the very first use cases, obviously, we saw. And so we partnered with NASDAQ to basically, as they were building out a public securities capability on chain to provide the payment leg in a very integrated way using blockchain. Uh, before there were really digital currencies, obviously people wanted to pay in fiat still. Um, and so, and we can chat about a bit more of the other uh, blockchain projects. One was with Alibaba and Ant that's processing billions of dollars uh, for them in production and instant B2B payments. So, I've seen the value that blockchain can bring, but you know, in 2018, you only it was one hammer and looking for nails, right? And yes. now, uh, you know, I took a, a basically a sabbatical from City a year ago, really to step back, look at the future of financial services. And what's clear to me is we've had enough momentum in digital assets, right? People know what an NFT is. We have momentum in digital money. Many folks own crypto. They've heard of stablecoin. They might have even heard of CDBC central backed digital currencies, and you have all these chains, right? The new networks. And so, uh, you know, I actually had decided after touching and feeling everything frontier and it all fell on the floor um, that I should be an advisor first. It's too early to pick winners. This is in October when I left City and see how the new layers of the financial cake are gonna bake. Uh, you know, how are digital assets gonna move? How's digital money gonna move? How's digital identity gonna move? Digital security and networks and chains. Cause you really need all of those working together for true mainstream adoption in spaces like regulated financial services. But lo and behold, uh, this opportunity at Provenance came up and I felt like um, it was really uh, had a head start, uh, a very important head start on a lot of levels. And I'm happy to go into that. But it was enough uh, of a head start to really, uh, I think we're at the tipping point. This is finance's 1995 moment. We really have, uh, you know, this is the heady days in some ways of the internet and what's possible. And with blockchain, digital assets, and digital money, we can now re-architect the financial infrastructure layer. I mean, that was never, ever an option before. You could only make changes really at the customer app layer, you know, make the thing 
shinier and glossier for the consumer, but you really couldn't get to the middle and back office, the bowels of financial services, and really change how finance gets done. DeFi is extraordinarily disruptive. It turns how financial services gets done on its head. It really is a big change, not having to go through trusted intermediaries. Um, but so I think we're mature enough with a lot of capital across all of these uh, spaces, helping evolve the solutions. Uh, and Providence has a great head start in financial services. No, great. That's that's a lot to unpack there, Morgan. So uh, where do I start? Um, I think the point that you made uh, towards the end uh, about how blockchain's um, 1995 moment, how it can kind of change infrastructure. If you go back 10 or 15 or 20 years, maybe PayPal's the first fintech. Um, fintech has all been uh, innovation at the distribution layer. Mm-hmm blockchains fundamentally changing that or adding the infrastructure or the factory is changing. So your thoughts, you, you studied uh, blockchain, you've obviously had a lot of experience and, and I want to talk uh, all about that as well. But provenance also is in the forefront of changing that factory, that infrastructure. So t- talk your perspective on that. Absolutely. And, you know, what I think one of the other, I mean, there are many reasons why I took this role. One of it is it's an incredibly interesting problem to solve that has such enormous financial impact, right? We're talking about the the roles of financial services, the most valuable roles are intermediaries, right? You have interchange and you have our credit card companies with trillions of dollars of market cap. You have exchanges, right? That are bringing together buy and sellers. You have obviously um, lending space, right? Trillions of dollars of, of various types of loans. All of that is really intermediated, right, by these trusted uh, participants that basically help facilitate that transaction. And I think your example of a factory is the perfect one. You really now, when you issue an asset, and what Providence is focused on is issuing that asset natively on chain, right? We're not trying to create a digital twin because that creates a whole bunch of other, you know, meaning you have a piece of paper and you create a digital representation. No, you want the asset to be represented on chain. And then it goes through its financial services journey, right? So you onboard, let's say, a mortgage. You need to service that mortgage. You need to finance that mortgage. You need to securitize that mortgage, meaning basically put out that risk to people who are risk buyers in the capital markets, right, to get certain things off a balance sheet for for the issuer. So basically, uh, there's a lot of... um, activities that get done to these financial assets and blockchain, because you, it's, it was born digital to start, you can basically transact, you can know who owns it um, a lot better. And um, it's all in more a lot more real time and without having to trust the counterparty, right? Because there's instant settlement. This is a really sort of aha moment. If you could take any asset, A, and own it yourself, and B, transact with anybody else, uh, without caring, can they pay for, can they give you the money when you give them the asset? No, because they're going to give you the money on a condition of you giving them the asset atomically swapping. So you really do change how things are produced and refined if we want to use the factory analogy. And it's in a different place. The start of it is totally different. Uh, and then how actually it moves down that uh, factory line to keep your, uh, to keep your analogy is, is totally the, different than how it gets done today. Fantastic. You explained it great, Morgan, and that's that's fabulous. I I want to kind of get into how Provenance actually is doing that, because I know Mm -hmm. you've done quite a bit uh, across the across the value chain of financial services. But uh, just to kind of touch back on your background. Um, I was looking at it, you, you've had a lot of operating experience, kind of in different functions, mm-hmm. some in the CFO role, some running a PL, and some um, kind of as operations as well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our listeners are and now a CEO, and a lot of our listeners are aspiring um, leaders in fintech and blockchain and financial services. So just kind of a question around when you look back, where did you learn the most? What did you learn that's most applicable to what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, I, I joke, I'm a digital and innovation global girl. And I've spent a lot of time, innovation is an art and a science. And many of my roles, again, have required a lot of product change for success and trying to, again, lead the future, right? Go where our clients want us to be 
in terms of their emerging needs. And so I'd say I've learned a lot about the innovation process and it needs true diversity of thought, right? People, you need the blue sky thinker. You need the, the person that knows the pipes, the person that understands the client. You need to co-create with your functional partners, right? Compliance. How do you make this regulatory feasible? And so I think um, spending a lot of time and how do you compose a team to tackle a particular uh, innovation challenge is really important. How do you collaborate across enterprises, right? So that work with NASDAQ and a, and a fintech, a 25-person fintech at the time called Chain that City Ventures had invested in. And things like Alibaba and Ant, I mean, each of those organizations are huge. They're super talented. Uh, they're a tech disruptor. You know, they're pushing you as, a, as their financial provider to really help co-create these solutions. So I'd say what I've been really excited about in running the Innovation Lab in Singapore for Asia on behalf of transaction banking as part of my business job, you know, you really want it to be client relevant, right? Your innovation is bringing something new of value to a customer. And you know, really, that's that deep iteration with customers. Um, and I think collaboration PhD is a skill set that everybody needs to keep developing because the circle gets wider and wider. And if you apply that back to the last part of your question to blockchain, it's ultra decentralized. So how do you do innovation? What I'm excited about is Prominence is a public open source permissionless blockchain designed specifically for financial services. That means we're an innovation platform. We want to crowdsource the future of financial services, right? By bringing in great developers from all kinds of backgrounds, expertise areas, passions, uh, again, applied in the space of financial services, we can't create everything ourselves. So that, you know, taking innovation to the nth degree in terms of a decentralized opportunity, I think is a great progression of deepening innovation competencies that I'm super excited about. Now, awesome. And, and a quick follow up on that, uh, because interesting, a lot of listeners, as you know, are in the banking and financial institutions, you have this unique vantage point of having kind of innovated with incumbents. Now you're innovating in, in, in a startup environment, um, albeit um, kind of an advanced, mature startup. Um, there are obviously some dis- differences, incentive structures and, and other things. So what do you think, especially for traditional incumbents, um, as to how they should see that innovation lifecycle and innovation path? They, should they look to partner with folks like Provenance and Figure as, as an integral part of their innovation mandate? Absolutely. I think the great news is banks writ large have now come to appreciate they can't do everything themselves. And I know City was was that way. And I know um, many other banks are that way. And that is a good thing because, again, no amount of creativity, no matter how much you have at a traditional firm, you just can't have all the answers. And I think most banks realize that. And City put in place some great fintech partnerships and a really um, a thoughtful structure of how to work with fintechs and accelerate the ability. Now that doesn't mean that there still wasn't some torturing, right? Of poor startups to navigate these giant um, FIs, financial institutions. But so I think the good news is um, banks have started looking outward uh, to partner. I think you have to collaborate beyond your organization because you just can't do everything well. There's too many, the, the, the layer of the tech stack has gotten so deep Right. I mean, first, you obviously have everybody owns a supercomputer in their pocket. Second, you have things like cloud, right, that are pervasive, that give instant scale. You add on, you know, blockchain, digital assets, digital money. You talk about sort of quantum, right, and your head starts to explode. So I think um, banks know they need to partner. The other thing blockchain did, which I'm really happy about, is it provided an alternative. Blockchain is a new rail to move value, move money, move assets, anything of value, a mortgage, you know, a loan, and even having another way to do things catalyzed, I think, traditional financial firms. They knew they needed to hustle up, and that is very good. I still think you know, there needs to be folks within banking infrastructures. There, there are many uh, innovative folks, but... They need more, right? I mean, the world is changing. Digital, I've always said, digital is disrupting everything, every industry. And financial services, obviously, it's already started You know, on the consumer side. It's going now, obviously, deep into the infrastructure side in ways that nobody can ignore. I mean, you know, the fact that Bitcoin Miami had you know, tens and tens of thousand people, I mean, 
this thing is is real. It's not going away. It's a matter of learning and um, applying it thoughtfully, managing the new risks, uh, harnessing the strengths, um, and really putting it together again in ways that create customer value. Cool. Um, you mentioned Bitcoin Miami. Um, I, I thought Peter Thiel's um, keynote was interesting. If we get time, I want to kind of ask you about that. But uh, I want to switch gears now maybe to the Provenance Blockchain Foundation and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that and the figure ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I know our audience has a lot of knowledge in blockchain, but I thought we'll start with some definitions, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, so Provenance, the blockchain, is a proof-of-stake blockchain. And, and there's proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin and ETH is, um, is different. So uh, what is kind of the proof-of-stake uh, part of the Provenance blockchain? And how is it different from the Absolutely. Blockchain? And maybe just to share for your listeners a bit more. Um, so Provenance was built on the Cosmos Tendersment um ecosystem, right? And it's a separate instance of Cosmos, uh, but it uses the Cosmos SDK. And again, it was designed specifically for financial services. And what does that actually mean? It first means it's using a proof of stake, uh, which gives a couple advantages. One is throughput, right? For financial services transactions, you need often confirmation of funds good, right? So, you know, that the money actually moved, as an example. You can't sit around and wait, right? Because the sender of the asset is on the other side. So you need that high throughput. If you think about credit card transactions, right? Uh, Tens of thousands of transactions per second, et cetera. So if you think about money moving, that needs high throughput um, and certain assets, right? So the proof of stake is more efficient in throughput and it's also more energy efficient, right? Because there's less work being done. Um, And then I think It also gives you some of the governance gives you some strengths Um, for things to pass in governance votes. You need more than two thirds majority, right? So there isn't this concept as it exists in some other chains of you need 51% of the stake, right? So it's sort of a higher bar uh, for for governance proposals as an example, because again, in blockchain, the community is really running the chain, right? So through these governance votes. So that uh, the other pieces are data control. So basically it was designed so personally identifiable information, PII, is not stored on chain. So when when a loan agreement alone is sold to a buyer, that loan, Morgan McKenney, 500,000 bucks at this interest rate, 30 years, that is not getting put on chain. What's getting put on chain is the agreement that this loan transacted And that's obviously done in the hash, kind of the digital fingerprint of that data. So inputs, outputs, and the process are captured in a hash that reflects that that data, whether it's structured or unstructured data about that. But the actual information is sitting off chain. So that is also quite important. And then instant settlement finality, again, proof of stake gives that, you know, every blocks are processed and everybody can go on um, Provenance Blockchain Explorer. It's public you know, in under six seconds, that kind of thing. So that instance settlement finality is really important in financial services transactions. So that's a bit more on proof of stake. Yeah, it uh, sounds very efficient and, and you articulated well. So as, as say a long document moves through the life cycle, the hash serves as kind of the unique um, thumbprint or digital print and, and all parties can kind of mutually agree. So it sounds super efficient compared to some of the processes we know, um, say in a loan originations to audit, to underwriting, to, to um, securitization. There's so much overhead of kind of looking at the same piece of information and validating. Those sounds super, super um, good, uh, Morgan. Um, I know Provenance is based on stable coins mm-hmm. and, and there are cryptocurrencies. So can you give our listeners a little bit of definition and contrast the two? Sure, and absolutely. And I'll do one clarification because when I said, you know, the hash is put on the chain, hash is also our utility token, right? Very appropriately named. That is used to pay all fees on provenance and including obviously the gas fee, which is the nominal fee that basically helps support the compute and storage uh, power required for that validation effort. But we also have embedded, and this is also a unique aspect of provenance, the ability to charge smart contract fees consistent with the value that is being created by putting that asset on blockchain, which is super interesting. So above the gas fee, um, 
you know, the hash required for the gas fee, there's a community smart contract fee that again, will help encourage the uh, growth of the community and the ecosystem. And then the IP owner of the smart contract basically can assess the smart contract fee that they want to charge. So whether this is an identity check, you know, or a validation Oracle that makes sure the data is correct uh, and correctly represented. Um, It might be a check that the wallet is not a sanctioned entity, right? There's a lot of smart contracts that all of our developers ecosystem will be writing. Um, So anyway, so that's just a bit more on hash. Um, But then to go back to your your question, you were asking about stable coins. So what's another unique value proposition of provenance is that uh, as part of the development of the ecosystem, to buy a digital asset, you need digital money, right? And you need natively born digital money. These, this is born on blockchain that can live in a blockchain environment, again, for that atomic settlement, money for asset, asset for money. Now, to get to the stablecoin question, one of the other unique attributes of provenance is the development of USDF consortium. And what this really is, is unlimited fiat on chain. So USDF, to again, buy assets, digital assets, or receive proceeds if you're selling a financial asset. So what USDF is, it's a bank minted tokenized deposit. What that means is basically you have to be an FDIC insured bank to mint and issue USDF. That USDF can only go to KYC wallets, uh, other members of the consortium. And what that does, it's designed for regulatory feasibility, right? Folks on your listeners have heard a lot of the stablecoin debate. And how do you make sure that that digital representation of fiat money is actually available when you want it, right? So if you have a digital dollar that's a stablecoin, there's USDT as an example, but you want to get money in your bank account, US dollars, you know, making sure that whoever is minting that stablecoin is liquid enough to enable you to actually get fiat, right, as a regulatory concern. So by bringing banks into the ecosystem and enabling them to mint dollars that reflect consumer balances is a very important way of A, leveling the playing field, particularly for smaller banks that don't have things like JP Morgan's $12 billion of tech investment. It also allows banks to participate in this new digital economy. They can use those um, USDF for helping their merchants collect real-time digital payments, 365, 24 by seven, not going through credit card rails, right? So for a merchant to accept money good, as good as a dollar in a bank account, banks participating banks in the consortium can help their merchants accept digital money, USDF, and credit their account immediately, right? So you sell something and immediately you get money in the bank as opposed to credit cards where you might get the money in a couple of days. So it helps empower merchants and it's much more cost-effective. It's one-tenth of the cost, let's say, right? So that's an important use case of USDF. And there are many others, particularly around programmatic money. And that has always been sort of a dream of digital money. But the fact that, you know, you could sign a mortgage and have payments automate it, go to people. If you can raise a capital call, right, you're buying a private investment that's automatic. As soon as you sign the document, you know, it, you're agreeing that that money, that capital call happens, you know, once a quarter, et cetera. So this idea of, you know, digital done right delights is very true with money and the existing digital versions of money we have today, like a credit card really are expensive uh, because it's going through these intermediaries. And so now we have these new options to basically make moving money, whether you're a business or a merchant, um, much more flexible, automated, and cheaper. Great. Yeah. Uh, natively digital money, programmatic constructs, they, they can totally revolutionize um, how you can do financial services. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's great. So now that we've established some foundation, um, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> definitions and foundations, um, let's talk a little bit about the Provenance Blockchain Foundation, its mission and vision. You are the CEO, um, albeit um, you joined uh, recently. Um, so tell us tell us about um, the mission and vision of the Blockchain Foundation, Provenance Blockchain Foundation. Absolutely, Patty. And really, it is about... Uh, transforming financial, the way financial services get it, gets done using digital money, digital assets, and blockchain. And by that, what does that mean for participants? It means much cheaper. It means much reduced risk. So a lot of financial services 
Today, it's intermediated trust, right? And that trust has a lot of capital because they don't know if you're going to pay. There's a settlement risk, right? If I agree to buy an asset, like we signed a paper doc, um, I wire the money, like there's settlement risk that I don't pay versus that the, I've already received the asset conceptually for people. So there, you blockchain and Provenance Blockchain Foundation allows you to transact with an unknown party bilaterally with no counterparty or settlement risk. You don't have to care if I have the money because you're only going to give me the asset if I do. And so that really does transform. This is cross-asset classes, right? These are mortgages. We're supporting home equity lines of credit, private market securities, funds, you know, well-known alts funds, alternative funds, payments, right? So a block, a bank blockchain on providing a instant 24 by 7, 365 rail. So really a, a blockchain-enabled bank, effectively. So it's cross-asset classes. It's driving better products and services for businesses and customers. If they're not benefiting, we're not doing something right. So really, you should be seeing that it's cheaper, faster, and lower risk, and opening up new revenue opportunities. Figure just announced a crypto loans program, right? There's so many people that now own crypto. Can't you get a loan using that crypto as collateral, as an example? So for a bank, a bank's main job is to lend money, one of the very important ones, right? So because they take in deposits uh, at, at, and then pay low rates, right? The 0% interest we have, and they lend it out at higher rates. So financing, it can create new financing opportunities. You could also provide greater access because you can tokenize and slice up. So you could own a share of a house, right? You can, so certain things become much more possible in, because the, the infrastructure is more flexible, right? It just you know, can go out beyond two decimals, right? The miniaturization of payments. So there's such a range of um, benefits. And it's really about my mission and goal is to broaden adoption, right? Figure is uh, customer number one. They built out provenance and they built their business on top of it, right? So the, the, the their product offerings benefit by using provenance. And so Apollo has bought a large hash stake. They're going to be putting on funds and securitizations, a range of other. They're a huge asset originator. They're a huge asset buyer. Uh, and so my role is to work with a range of traditional financial institutions and fintechs to help them harness the power of blockchain, digital assets, digital money, and to grow the developer community to build on top of provenance that creates these other value adds that uh, make it more valuable for users to use. So those are the two pillars. You have developers that are your innovation platform that create capabilities that a financial services firm would need. That's things like intelligence, customer intelligence, compliance intelligence, uh, KYC, know your transaction intelligence, um, maybe identity passporting so that if I buy an asset, I'm qualified to buy asset A the person selling me asset B doesn't have to requalify me again, right? So identity passporting is an example. So build out the developer eco um, economy of dApps, right? Uh, focus on financial services and grow the usage. So those are, those are two things that are keeping me busy. That's great. And we have a lot of listeners, Morgan, um, to our show that kind of come from the startup and the developer mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. So I would want to drill down on that. Yeah. Like kind of touch on provenance. Um, we wouldn't be too far off if we use the earlier analogy that provenance is the new financial services factory in many ways. Absolutely. Will, will that be fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My working title is great, Patty. Very, very well said. I think um, my working title is FWS, so Financial Web3 Services, right? So really enabling this whole asset journey again and plugging in. So We'll plug into custodians. If you want to keep your digital mortgage at custodian A, we will facilitate that, right? If you want to use wallet, you know, a, a Fireblocks wallet, we're working to facilitate that to keep your, you know, you want to, to have multi-signature kind of things, right? To, uh, to access those assets. So plugging in this concept of interoperability is really important. I think a lot of the traditional financial services has been very uninteroperable, meaning in payments land, once you're in a sprawling walled garden of payments, it works, right? Payments in the US works. You know, nobody in consumer land, generally speaking, or not many people are crying, right? That their payment. But once you leave the US, if you try to buy something at a store, you know, a, 
a pop-up little hut in Indonesia, right? That's when your payment mechanism doesn't work. And so whenever you're leaving that ecosystem, it's expensive, painful, hard, et cetera. And so I think, and when you think about asset classes, right, they're very stove piped. And, uh, you know, I do think we want to be thinking about you can cross collateralize things that will make capital more efficient and able to get appropriate leverage. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I love the FWS. We're an infrastructure enabler, kind of the new cloud for financial services in a very decentralized fashion, which is, is, is quite novel yeah. and public at that. Yeah. And I love some of the use case you um, kind of described there, meaning this, this opportunity, the new infrastructure enables us to think out of the box, mm -hmm. uh, which you wouldn't have traditionally. And I, I do want to touch on that interoperability. Mm -hmm. Maybe there might be a CFI and a DeFi that exists together for some time. Mm -hmm. Maybe the future is all DeFi. Uh, I don't know. But I want to get to that. Uh, before that, you mentioned figure. So mm -hmm. for our listeners, um, can you tell us about provenance and there's figure um, what is the structure and the relationship there so that our listeners understand that? Absolutely. So Provenance was really the brainchild of Mike Cagney, who founded Figure. And he had a vision and saw that blockchain really will transform infrastructure, the way financial services gets done. And so he set about thinking about how to, how to, how to build out this blockchain, but he knew that banks would not be first in. They're not, banks are never, you know, early adopters in general, right? And so that banks would want to be fourth in or fifth in on, on a blockchain, right? They'd want it de-risked, they'd want to have it to have scale. So he built his new fintech figure on provenance to, to basically, you know, you, you should, if you're a chef, you should like what you cook, right? So uh, basically- Eat your own dog food. What, <laughs> exactly. So what Mike did is he decided three critical verticals where intermediation is high and blockchain can have big uh, value. So the first is lending. So issuing mortgages and home equity lines of credit on chain. And he's done some amazing things with this thing called DART, Digital Asset Registry Technologies, that basically registers the digital version of the mortgage, which is an e-note. In mortgage land, even though most of us have signed a bunch of paper, there actually is an e-note form that has legal protections and enforceability. And so that Dart listens to the blockchain to, it's a new registry, right? A MERS for folks that are in mortgage space. It's a, a MERS replacement, an alternative, a much more digital uh, registry um, that basically listens to blockchain and notes change of status. Now, so he's run a lot of his mortgage business um, and, and, and HELOC. Second vertical was really tackling exchanges, right? And exchanges, we talked about, are bringing buyers and sellers together and focused in private market securities because one of the um, big benefits of blockchain is it brings liquidity to previously illiquid assets because it allows that asset to be easily transferred across people, right? Instead of you know, the ownership sitting in a lawyer's cupboard, right? Morgan McKenney owns 100 shares of blah, right? Um, it actually stores that ownership information on chain in the registry, and then you can transfer it, right? So it makes it much more easy, and therefore it's more price discoverable, and therefore it's more liquid, and therefore it's more accessible. All of these good benefits. Uh, and then obviously he started figure pay and uh, really to, again, put this uh, a bank on a blockchain effectively and link it with Fiat Rails. Now the relationship to figure and provenance is figure is a big investor in hash. So A, it built provenance and put its business on. So it's de-risk provenance. There's billions of dollars that have been transacted on chain. That figure has led across these, these three verticals I talked about. Um, so it's a, and it's an owner in hash. It's a fairly large owner and we're working to um, basically sell large stakes to strategic investors who will again, harness the power of blockchain for their business. So the hash sale to Apollo, Apollo brought a big stake of hash from figure that's publicly available to use blockchain and a buying hash is a is taking the stand that the financial industry will be changed with digital money so it's the best proxy for making that bet and i know many of your readers i i would feel certain believe that so we're working on getting hash much more uh, available on exchanges centralized exchanges and decentralized so watch that space we're very excited about that but that will let more of your listeners be able to participate in that bet, you know, that a that a blockchain, public blockchain focused on financial services will actually help 
change the market cap, that trillions of dollars of market cap will come into this ecosystem, uh, benefiting anybody that's participating or has invested in. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you, you talked about the two pillars or two areas of focus in, in, for you mm-hmm. in Providence, the mm-hmm. traditional financial in, institutions, mm-hmm. as well as the developer and start, startup. I want to kind of uh, drill down or double click on each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you did mention USDF uh, consortium earlier on, and, and mm-hmm. I know that it's related to kind of member community banks and financial institution. Maybe we'll go there first. Um, so what would be an advantage um, for a community bank or even a regional bank in the U.S. to join the USDF uh, consortium? Absolutely. And I think the advantage there is, again, being able to participate in this new digital economy and enable their customers to have better products and solutions. So each of the community banks, they're operating in different spaces. Some have large real estate businesses, right? They help fund commercial real estate developers, for instance, in in some of the large centers like New York, California, or Texas, or Florida. And so basically, you could think about a a project loan, you know, from loan to basically implementation and building of that property. And, you know, there's, there's loan, there's development that happens in these milestones of building that you can initiate payments to, right, that are very manual today. I'm just giving you one example of a, of a use case that, that follows the project evolution subject to agreed milestones, whereas in traditional construction finance, you know, you get paid when I get paid, everybody down the chain is suffering, right? So, and 90 day payment terms, et cetera, you're just bringing a lot more real liquidity into that chain. And we're talking like 200 plus billion dollars, like even more, right? In terms of construction finances, just like I know from talking to one player as an example. So for, for USDF consortium members, they basically on demand for their customers, have a 365 24 by seven payment rail. And that has a lot of, again, opportunity to help their business. If they have a lot of SMEs, they can help those small and medium enterprises accept digital payments without paying interchange. If they have um, a strong consumer and retail base, they could have, you know, again, C to B payments or support P to P payments, et cetera. So I'd say it depends on the footprint of the bank, the use cases they see, you know, they might do a lot of uh, capital calls for the private investments and they, and they process that. And again, this automates it, this programmatic aspect that we talked about. So, and then the consortium is providing, because each of these banks are highly regulated, right? They have to be an FDIC insured bank. And the consortium is helping those banks with those discussions with the regulators. Again, if they need a non-objection from the OCC, as an example, because each bank has to go through similar assessments, right? Of technical risk, of operational risk, or you know, what what if, if the rail goes down, right? What, what are their alternatives? How do they think about governance and in a decentralized system? So each bank has to go through a lot of assessments and the consortium is helping provide, because they're all going through common questions. So supporting that regulatory engagement, which is an important part in addition to obviously the business and the tech side as well. Um, this is, meaning this is great. I think it's transformational. Um, it's almost having an, another low cost, low risk perhaps as well, um, rail for payments and almost real time um, settlement. So that's, this is huge. Thanks, Patty. And one other thing to end, mention, it's a great example of collaboration because this is not saying, this is not a one bank coin, right? This is no offense to JP Morgan. This is not a JP Morgan coin. No, this is a collaboration coin, right? So what when you're joining the consortium, you are agreeing to accept a USDF minted by another bank you're receiving that, you need to credit your customer real money in their bank account and then burn that USDF, right? And you're going to get the payment maybe a couple hours later from the bank, the net settlement, right? As the net settlement process gets worked out. But the point is it's it's much more of a collaborative um, approach that you're accepting other banks because they are, you know, there's so many constraints on it in a good way, right? So you can accept other banks minted coins. So it's actually a great example of collaboration. Yeah, no, I love it. And I, I'm kind of looking into some of the gaming and NFT spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, Another game- great application. Absolutely. Right, right. All the fantasy football, you know, all the payouts. That's a great, uh, 
yeah, programmatic money, right? All the payouts, you know, if you're that lucky or that good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. And and this is a perfect use case. And it, it's greenfield as well, because there there isn't anything um, for them and they're exploring. So this is, um, so hopefully some listeners get some ideas from Yeah, there. absolutely. Um, no, that's, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Morgan. And kind of jumping onto the developer and startup side. Mm-hmm. So you're opening provenance. That's kind of one of kind of the pieces of your value chain that you're focused yes. on. Uh, third-party developers, perhaps startup programs. Mm-hmm. I, I saw on social media about a grants program. Yeah. Uh, please tell us about it and how, uh, and what kind of candidates are you looking to join? Absolutely. And the great news is um, hash is one of the most valuable tokens your readers probably have uh, never heard of, right? We have a market cap of $9 billion. That's the current value of hash outstanding. There's a hundred billion hash outstanding trading at roughly, let's say nine cents. Um, And we're not a hyperinflation. We're not printing money, right? We're real hardcore support financial services for business value. And so the way we will um, that hash stake has a lot of value and we're applying a lot of that value to the grant program. So watch this space, but I'm going to be announcing soon a, a significant number allocated for developer grants. We're talking, you know, at least three zeros kind of thing. Um, and, in, you know, millions. And basically we're going to be relaunching it soon, focusing in some ways on bounties. So we'll have bounties in certain spaces, right? This, so Again, it needs to apply and bring value to financial services. That could be security. That could be operational governance. That could be AI intelligence. That could be privacy. You know, a lot of our financial institutions, because it's public, they're worried people will be able to work backwards, right, on what's happening on the chain. And so privacy will be important. Um, all these AI dApps that I talked about, they'll probably there'll be many bounties. But then we'll have other free-flowing, anybody who's testing a new use case, whether it's accounts receivable or it's trade finance or it's um, a new marketplace idea, the Ibotta kind of things, right? You bought a house, you bought something. Um, so we really want to uh, support um, new use case testing. Um, it could be for social good. I'm just in a co-working space here in San Francisco, and I heard about Shidao, and we're sponsoring a hackathon uh, at Consensus with uh, the city of Austin, World Economic Forum, and you know, we want to bring diversity in developers also. We're looking for all kinds of thinking, people from across the planet uh, who bring all kinds of, you know, they might be UI UX experts, they make it amazing. They might be uh, you know, really in that AI space. They're thinking about data on blockchain, right? In some ways, it's so structured. In other ways, data's PII, as I said, is going to live off chain. So that's a hard problem, right? So privacy masking. So we'll um We're looking for diversity of thought. And the whole principle of provenance is there's humans behind the machine, right? Decentralized often, to me at least, in some ways can be dehumanizing. You're kind of out there in the ether. You're connected, but you really, you know, it's it's sort of taking out a lot of the humanity. But for a real financial services platform to work, you have to have smart people. So I want to profile all the developers that are working on provenance. We'll find out ways to do that on our website, which we're relaunching. Uh, if you've touched or contributed to it, I want you know to showcase that diversity and really be conscious in how we reach out to people. So we're hiring a grants director to lead all of this um, because it really needs to be designed thoughtfully to encourage, inspire, fund. And the other thing is post the hash grant, right, to build something. Um, I talked about that unique fee structure on Providence where the IP creator, the smart contract writer, the developer can monetize that. So I'm encouraging all developers that they're tackling hundreds of billions of dollars of pain. And therefore, again, we're able to charge based on the value that blockchain is creating. So if it's creating huge economic value, the IP for that smart contract can really be material. So we're talking, again, this beyond the development, the recurring revenue and commercial is the ability to commercialize that usage and monetize that usage, I think should be super exciting to the developer community. This isn't, you know, we're not throwing cash and just build anything. No, if your thing gets used, you're going to earn a lot of money. So I think that's really, because I think most developers, maybe many of them aren't coming from financial services, but there are really big problems. You know, it's a huge TAM, (laughs) uh, meaning, you know, it's got uh, a lot of economic 
value in financial services and a lot of improvements to be made. Now, very exciting. And, and I think the incentive structure um, is, is perfect, right? Um, that's great. Uh, to your point on inclusion and diversity. So I do support um, um, a lab or accelerator for underrepresented founder that a bank, a large top four bank in the US is uh, leading. And um, I'll see if there's some kind of connection there. Maybe talk to you offline about that. Absolutely. Have them. Yeah, I would love an introduction. Yeah. Um, great. And and uh, do you want to give out, so you said you're coming out with some information about this program. So do you mm-hmm. want to give out to our listeners where they can kind of tune in uh, for announcements? Absolutely. Well, we have our website, prominence.io, uh, but bear with us because, you know, I'm six weeks in and we're rejigging it. You know, we're going from dark to light conceptually, right? We want to be the beacon to help support this transformation, help be uh, a great ecosystem collaborator. Uh, be interoperable and connect and plug in to uh, encourage access, usage, adoption, contribution. So I'm super excited. I think uh, I, while I was on sabbatical, I took a couple classes on uh, competing in the age of AI and competing in the age of digital platforms. And from my point of view, blockchain allows is the next generation of platform. You know, platform companies are the most valuable companies today, the ones that bring in buyers and sellers to transact and the ones that are innovation platforms. Think of Apple's iTunes, et cetera. Um, And with blockchain, I think we can design thoughtfully to have more shared incentives. So I'm thinking a lot about all the participants and what's in it for them to participate in ways that are maybe a lot more stakeholder focused and help the whole ecosystem develop even more thoughtfully, take some of the lessons of 1.0 platforms. Um, So we have, we're on Discord. um, We have a community call um, every two weeks on Monday that's open and we're building that up. So um, yeah, reach out to me, I'd say, and we can get you, get, get the team plugged in appropriately depending on their interest and tuned in. Great. So provenance.io and also on Discord. So I'm sure that and they'll find a way to get get in touch with you. Um, Want to shift gears? I know we touched you touched a little bit on the interoperability aspect, um, and if you kind of step back um, a little bit, so so provenance and there are other folks who are digitizing assets. You talked mm-hmm. about the advantage of natively digital assets, but non-native digital assets or or digital assets, which are kind of digital, but they're not kind of natively digital. Um, They exist and exist in a large number. Um, So if we project out, we might have a DeFi system or these natively digital assets. We might have tokenized real assets, which kind of are hybrid. And we might have non-tokenized, which kind of in the legacy world, if you will, the assets that live. Uh, Real estate is a classic example, which is still titled at the county level in the US and so on and so forth. So both custody and even the transactional process. So how do you see this space evolving? And if we put also a regulatory lens in, in the whole thing, I know the president kind of had an EO executive order kind of asking agencies to kind of look into it and come back with some proposals on whether crypto and blockchain others need a new um, agency, perhaps. I know we have several agencies, SEC, CFTC, and um and OCC all kind of dabbling in different parts, depending on on what it's happening. Um, so it's kind of a very broad question. Sorry, Morgan, but uh, but t- t- tell tell us a little bit from your vantage point how you see this all evolving, uh, both from kind of the asset side and the regulatory side. Absolutely, and it's a it's a big question. I would say first, policy does have to evolve appropriately, right? I, I do, and actually, I was just meeting with Sheila Warren. Um, today, who's Crypto Council Innovation and really focused on policy advocacy, again, to harness, to enable harnessing innovation to achieve policy objectives, right? We all want customer protection. We don't want when in, in matters of money and things of value, right? Financial assets, you want to make sure people understand the risks that, you know, they're not pulled into a Ponzi scheme, that they're not swindled and you know, their money stolen from them. Um, You want to protect customers. Um, So I think it's about crafting policy that helps harness this new innovation spaces thoughtfully to achieve agreed upon policy objectives, right? I mean, in the US, there's a certain amount of privacy people expect or want with their financial transactions. As long as you're not doing something illegal, 
like, again, in general, many people view, you want to have economic liberty. You want to be able to spend your money on anything that's not illegal and not have to have that tracked, you know, by any sort of government or, or regular, you know, et cetera. So I think, you know, different people have different versions in different countries of what that privacy looks like in economic activity. However, so policy is a very important piece of the puzzle. I think that will get worked out. I think there's a recognition that this is too big to ignore and you need appropriate guardrails. Again, that doesn't stifle innovation, but that, and also we can't retrofit this thing, right? As I said at the beginning, decentralized is exactly the opposite as financial system today. Honestly, actually, if you take it to its extreme. And so you can't shoehorn the way things will work in the future to the way they work now, because like, it's a, like, it's an apple and an orange, like the, the square peg round hole, whatever analogy you want to use. So I think I'm hopeful that the, the various regulatory bodies will gain an appreciation of the risks because there are new risks, um, but then enable appropriate, reiterate policy objectives and ensure that the development of that technology does not risk those policy objectives. So policy is very important. From my point of view, this is a trend. You're, so many things, your title of your car, of your house is going to be sitting on chain. I mean, your medical records, your identity assets, right? No longer, there will be a time when you don't give your whole PII to a corporate because you kind of have to, and then it leaks out no matter how good that corporate tries to be with your data. Instead, no. Are you over 21? Yes, I'm over 21. You know, I, are you, do you own a house in the US? Yes, I own a house. Are you a US citizen? Yes. And again, the yeses come from the credentialing authority. And I don't have to tell you that my birth date is, and I'm never going to tell you. So, you know, and I don't have to, um, you know, give you the specific data. All you have to know is that I'm, you know, over 21 as an example. So identity assets will be on chain and will be permissioned by the owner, which is me, um, and the appropriate time to engage with certain services. So I really think this is an unstoppable trend. It's not only limited to financial services, but titling, you know, who owns what that will live on blockchain. Uh, I just, I just, and there's been improvements on identity for sure. That's, but you know, all this stuff will take time. This is again, it's changing how the internet works, right? People have heard about web three, this concept of first, you could read everything on the internet, right? First one, then you could write to it, right? All of our social media that we have today. Now you will be able to own and transfer, right? And own and transfer things, IP, um, you know, things of value of anything. They might be your collectibles, they might be a mortgage. And really, um, that's the next phase of the digital economy evolution. Yeah, that's a very powerful point, Morgan. Um, the internet as the custody or the custodian of, of all things. Well, as the rail that enables transfer of value. So today, everything you send on the internet is a copy, right? Just think of your picture. You took a picture of your mom, you know, at a birthday dinner last night, and you send that out to your family. What you're sending out is the copy. You, that picture does not move from your phone, right? You're blasting copies. So just think for me, the, from my point of view, the easiest way I think about it is today, the internet blasts out copies of everything. And blockchain allows you digitally to move things of value and receive, obviously, the proceeds of that, that sale or, or that activity. Uh, digitally, right over the rail, over the over the network, which for all of us is the internet is the gateway, right to the world. So, yeah, if that helps, I just think you can you can use the internet to transfer value, um, but it's really blockchain behind it that's enabling that. Right, right. No, no, totally. And and you touched on it already, um, and I like um, my my guests to kind of prognosticate and, and crystal ball. Um, we talked about DeFi, we talked about Web3, um, we didn't talk a lot about crypto, Bitcoin, and ETH in, in specificity, uh, but then NFT, I think we briefly touched on. So there are different kind of legs of the stool, if you will, off the yeah. de decentralized internet. So how, how do you see that kind of evolving, meaning they're all kind of enabling something? Yeah. Um, so how, how do you see, especially like NFTs and yeah. things that we haven't touched too much today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I went to NFT NYC in October and that was awesome. Basically the headline was, and they took over Times Square for 30 minutes in the morning, the world has woken up to NFTs, right? And that's a consumer's entree into what a digital asset is, something you would pay for, receive, 
you might think it's crazy. And yes, it all might be right click, right? For people, but there's a there there, right? And so the principle and the concept um, of this unique element that, by the way, allows you to engage beyond the experience, right? A ticket in the future will be an NFT, right? A ticket to a show. You went there on, you know, saw Bon Jovi for all you OGs out there. And, you know, it was at uh, whatever. I, I haven't lived in the US for 10 years. So all the stadiums like Madison Square Garden, um, on this date, the seat. And by the way, then that NFT access, right? That that ticket, Bon Jovi could, you know, speak to you, right? And speak to his highest fan and VIP fans because you bought a VIP ticket. And so we see this in sports, right? Messi, you can follow Messi. Man U has a billion um, supporters around the world. I mean, living in Asia, I've gone to games that were broadcast at like 3 a.m. with everybody in their Man U jersey, right? So uh, what it does is that it's that digital ownership that opens up things beyond that specific event, as an example, or that specific experience, right, that you bought it for. So it can be enjoyed. It has this persistence and engagement opportunity. That's why NFTs across industries, consumer, entertainment, sports, gaming, all have relevance and why it's, I think, pretty cool. So you're asking, I mean, where I see this thing going. I see Bitcoin and ETH as tradable and um, stores of value that provide different uh return characteristics and different inputs uh, that, that move its price than maybe some other traditional financial assets. I don't see them really as commercial currencies, right? Meaning, are you going to buy your coffee at, at Starbucks using Bitcoin? I don't believe so because there's a lot of other games in town that, again, I believe that consumers and businesses in general price in fiat, meaning you know the value of a couch, of a ticket, of a meal, of a taxi ride, all in your, you know, your domicile currency, which is called fiat. So I think that's why I do think kind of fiat tracking digital money is more relevant for businesses and consumers in general. Um, and then the metaverse is a thing. I think the natural extension of digital economy is spending much more time in digital universe. And that's just more places for you to spend your money as a, as a human. So, you know, I can buy a very cool puffy, a very cool kicks, right? That, you know, and for my online avatar, that you can digitally design in such neat ways that you can't manufacture, right? I can't have those kicks looking like that. So I do think some portions of maybe your listeners will spend more time in the digital world um, and spend their money in that digital world as well. And it allows you to choose your tribe. I mean, humans, you, you know, choose folks you want to hang out with and they're not all sitting around you. Yes. Some people will fight that trend and, only IRL, I'll date myself in real life, uh, you know, and they really cherish. And those are very important experiences. But again, different strokes for different folks. I think the metaverse is a thing. And, you know, watch that space. You'll, you'll obviously, we've already seen lots of brands going into metaverse, uh, establishing storefronts, establishing branding, taking, you know, stakes and sandbox, getting a property. Um, so again, it's, it's, you know, it's the natural extension. The internet was sort of like country number 175, right? You could kind of get to anywhere there. Metaverse, you can go anywhere digitally and participate and engage with different people that are not physically proximate, which just opens up other, other universes to live on digitally and live your best life, right? Um, you can be who you want to be online. So obviously that has lots of uh, implications for people and uh, we need to do that thoughtfully again. Digital done right delights. The done right part is becoming exceedingly important, right? So we don't want to permeate unconscious biases in our AI algorithms, et cetera. And we want to make sure, you know, kids don't land in crazy places in the metaverse kind of thing, right? So with all this technology, you know, we have to be thoughtful, obviously, about how, how we use it. But it does open up new possibilities. And I think those are really exciting. Yeah, of course. No, definitely. Um, it has to be done thoughtfully and reminds me of the movie Matrix, Keanu Reeves. Um, and looks like that's that's what the metaverse is or we're going there. And maybe the assets will move first into that digital medium and then experiences, which is what the metaverse is. Mm -hmm. But but to your point, um, thoughtfully and, 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 and carefully. Um, uh, thank you. And, and design, you. not only tech, but design for humans, right? So sure. think about the sure. design as well. Very important, very important. And um, thank you for sharing that. I was, um, I, I loved the way you kind of projected it out. Um, um, I think we'd love to talk more. We have a lot of other topics, especially a drill down on metaverse, but 
Uh, we're kind of out of time, uh, Morgan. So any comments on closing? And I know you gave out some a website and all, but if you want to give out your social media, like if you're on Twitter or LinkedIn or where people can get in touch with you, um, um, Morgan. Absolutely. Well, first, I want just want to reiterate my thanks, Patty. It's awesome. And thanks to iValley Ventures. And look, I'm delighted. I, this has been so much fun. So thank you. I hope your listeners had fun too. Uh, I'm kind of old school. A, a younger Morgan McKenney took my Twitter handle, which I'm really annoyed about. So, uh, so I, so the best way to reach me is LinkedIn. Uh, I love LinkedIn. I will reply, connect with me. Uh, if you're looking to work at Provenance, reach out. You know, we're looking for all kinds of roles. We're hiring up, um, whether it's business development or helping customer adoption, grant program, uh, security, you name it, like marketing. Uh, we're really, even education. There's a ton of education in this space. So uh, required, right? This is a new domain, obviously, for more traditional firms, even if they know some about it. Just there's just there's a lot to talk about. So uh, reach out, connect with me. I hope I've inspired some of your listeners to hopefully contribute to Provenance in some way, uh, develop to Provenance, put assets on Provenance, work at Provenance. So yeah, LinkedIn, Morgan McKenney, I'm there. Innovation at scale, that's me. So uh, and we'll we'll take it from there. So thank you so much, Patty. I'm truly grateful, and it's been so much fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, thank you, Morgan, and um, thank you for coming on the fintech talk show. Thank you.